It's time for ROTD Weekend. Welcome, welcome. I have an exciting show for you today. I am talking with Mike Costio of Data Central. He is a trendologist. Yes, that is really his job. And he studies food trends across the country. Basically, the company looks at menus from across the country and is looking for trends. They do data analysis, all sorts of things, and sort of predict what we're going to be seeing. And that also helps different restaurants and places know what sorts of things people are liking to put on menus to sell, all of that. We are going to hear about the science behind it, how they're actually doing this, and what some of the upcoming trends are. It is a very exciting conversation. I can't wait for you to hear it. Before I play that for you, though, I am going to tell you about a strange thing that has happened to me on Instagram recently. So years ago, when I wasn't doing as much cooking as I am now, I can remember being at like a Subway and seeing all that beautiful shredded lettuce there and thinking that it was shredded on a box grater because it's called shredded like shredded cheese, right? And at some point I tried doing it and it didn't work. And then I figured out that you slice it. So that is all fine and good. But then we were doing a recipe post for the cookful about how to shred lettuce, part of our head lettuce series that we've been doing. And I was researching it and came across the fact that many top sites that have posts about how to shred lettuce recommend that you do it on the box grater. And I don't mean on the like wide slicey side of the box grater. I do mean using that like cheese shreddy side, right? So I was like, you know what? I need to do a video about this because other people probably think like I did that this is going to work. And actually there are websites saying that this works. So I'm going to record this video. So I record this video and I'm like, don't shred your lettuce on the box grater. Do this instead. People got really upset. I had to delete a whole bunch of comments because they were swearing because it was such obvious information and common sense. And I guess they're upset that I'm wasting their time. I don't know. It was actually kind of amusing and it's been sort of strange. I've never before had like so much anger directed at me, uh, especially for something so inconsequential. I'm very much like, oh, if you knew how to do this already, just move along. There are other people who don't know. But anyhow, I think it's pretty funny. And if you don't know how to shred lettuce, you should go check it out. You'll find it if you look for Cook the Story on Instagram. I am there. It's in the Reels section. And you can see those comments. If you do come and visit, please don't swear at me. I'm trying to help. That's all. New recipes, techniques, things to make your life easier in the kitchen. To that end, also new and exciting things to try. And for that, I have today's amazing guest, Mike Costio from Dad Essential, a trendologist, telling us how they spot the trends and what we should be on the lookout for in 2023. Let's listen to that. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I'm super excited to be here. You have the coolest job ever. <laughs> you are a trendologist, right? <laughs> yep. That's my that's my title. Absolutely. Okay, tell me what that is. <laughs> um, I mean basically so I work for a market research firm based in Chicago and I stay on top of the trends in the food industry. So we're the firm is called Data Central. So we have a lot of data that shows us what's happening in the food industry, but I take that data and I kind of combine it with what I'm seeing in the real world and you know secondary research that we're doing. And then we kind of come up with a story about what's happening in the food industry. 
I love it. And so you're watching what's happening and seeing it all take shape in front of you. Are your predictions right often? Like, are you like, yeah, that totally. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, most of the time, yeah, you know, the data is pretty accurate. You know, we actually have a a machine learning engine that can kind of crunch the numbers on the data and tell us where particular ingredients and dishes are going to be four years out. Um, It's hard. I mean, like, if we had a true, true crystal ball, we would be billionaires, you know? So, like, obviously, before COVID, we didn't know that a giant pandemic was going to happen. So, there are always wrenches thrown in it. But for the most part, I think we're pretty proud of the the predictions that we put out there. So I want to get into how you got into this, but I just have a like side question all of a sudden. Does things like TikTok throw a wrench in this? Like you're like something that you net like butterboards. All of a sudden there are butterboards everywhere. You're like, I did not expect slathering fat on boards to be a trend ever. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like that's one of the hardest things is So we actually, the way the company got started was through our menu database, which it's called Menu Trends. And it's all these menus that we pull from all across the country, and it allows us to see what's happening on menus. So we'll look at it, and it'll be, you know, this ingredient is up on menus, this ingredient is down on menus. But it doesn't take into account all of those cultural factors. So Mm -hmm. if tomorrow, you know, Oprah says, oh my gosh, I love this food, and everybody wants to eat that food, you know, that's not taken into account in the database. So, So to some extent... That is my job to kind of marry that type of information mm-hmm. with what's going on. But yeah, I mean, culture has moved so quickly these days. So, and there's always weird, you know, wrenches thrown into the works that, that make it really difficult to predict trends. I, I, I love it. It's so exciting. So tell me, how did you get started in this industry? Yeah, everybody wants to know that. Everybody, like, how do I become a trendologist? Yeah, yeah, I want to be industry? one. <laughs> And it wasn't, uh, it's not how I started at all. So my undergraduate degree was in journalism. And then at that time, you know, all my professors were like, don't go into journalism. This is the dying industry, choose something else. And so I had a professor and his wife was running for the state Senate. And so I ended up working on her campaign and that led to political career. And so I was working in political communications. I worked on Hillary Clinton's 2008 campaign. And so when that eight cycle was done. You know, some people are built for the political life. I'm not. It's really long hours. It's, you know, you never know what's going to happen next. You're always gunning for the next job. And so when that campaign ended, um, you know, that was also the 2008 recession. So I did what a lot of people were doing, which was I went back to school. And I went to Boston University has a program in food studies. It's a gastronomy program started by Jacques Pepin and Julie Child for people who want to study food, but don't necessarily want to be in the kitchen. And so I was going to do food policy. I was like, I'm going to go work for the USDA and I'll make food policies. And instead, the head of the program was a food anthropologist. And so there were all these opportunities to kind of learn about, you know, how do people make the food choices that they make? What does, you know, food culture look like and how is it changing? So I ended up switching to that. And then that led to to this career. So um, I had applied to the three largest kind of food research firms are here in Chicago. And I applied to all three of them. And they Data Central was really small and growing at the time. So I thought it would be a great opportunity to get in the door pretty early. And I've been here for over a decade now, actually. Wow, that's so exciting. Wow, that's really cool. So, So is this considered kind of like food anthropology? I guess it totally is, right? 
Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, so it's basically, you know, researching why we eat what we eat, how we eat what we eat. Um, I mean, there's a, there's so much similarity to what I researched in the master's program and what I do day to day at Data Central. Okay, so you already told us you've got these menus that you're scanning. What else is involved with like finding the trends? What else is involved? How do you do that? Yeah, so um, we're a full service market research firm, which means we kind of do any type of research that you can imagine. So some of that is, um, you know, consumer research where we'll talk to consumers and what are you eating? What do you like? What do you dislike? You know, how are things changing? Um, we do operator research. So we'll ask, you know, chefs across the country, what are you using? What are you not using? Um, we also have a few other databases. So we have a database that looks at every single operator across the United States that sells food. So what's happening in hospitals when it comes to their cafeterias or their patient feeding, what's happening in, you know, K through 12 or in colleges and universities. So that's kind of like all the data that we have to work with. And then personally, like I work on the content team. So a lot of what we're doing is we're researching what's happening. We're reading a lot of articles. Sometimes we're traveling across the country. I do a lot of speaking engagements. Um, and then we bring all that together and create reports that kind of marry it. So it's a lot of secondary research as well. And so, so this data, is it, is it just spitting things out to you or do you have to be like cauliflower and like, are you like... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, some of it is. Yeah, you know, the the data is the data and we get an Excel spreadsheet and we've got to make sense of it. And when I say we, I'm actually not a numbers person. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely, you know, I was the English major, not the math major. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I like having data to work with and to build that story from. But when I say we, it's, you know, people at the company who are crunching the numbers on this type of stuff. But yeah, I mean, at the same time, you know, these are kind of, you know, client facing tools. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, a manufacturer will come to us and they'll purchase access to these tools. So it's pretty easy to, to kind of filter on, okay, what's the fastest growing single menu item in the country or kind of whatever. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. So you get like in like chain restaurants or manufacturers yeah, yeah. products who are like, you know, we want to revise our menu, what should be on there? Like that kind of exactly. thing. Exactly. That's mostly what we do. So it's either manufacturers who are yeah coming to us and they're exactly what you just said. We want to make a new product in in the appetizer category, what's trending here? Which flavors should we put? What you know? What where are the areas where there's too much in the market already, and we should stay away from it? You know, and we also get a lot of operators who, yeah, we're you know reconfiguring our dessert menu. What's going on in dessert trends right mm -hmm. now? So, mm -hmm. um, and we update it quarterly, so it's always really exciting when we see that menu update. And you know, what's the fastest growing item on menus, or what's declining on menus? So it's kind of fun to see how things are changing. Okay, and you know, that's what I want to know next, right? <laughs> So what, <laughs> what is happening in the food world now and what should we be expecting to see or what are we seeing and haven't realized we're seeing, right? It's kind of both of those. Yeah, yeah. So the actually, so the single fast, nobody ever gets this because it's the single fastest, um, single item that's growing on menus right now is the ranch water cocktail. So I don't know if you've had this cocktail before. It's basically a spit on a margarita. You find it, um, a lot in Texas, but it's lime juice, topo chico and tequila. So it's like a really easy way to make a margarita. And we already saw, you know, topo chico and a lot of those sparkling waters were already growing on menus. The margarita is America's favorite cocktail overall. At some point here, tequila is going to overtake vodka as the number one um, spirit mm. in sales in the United States. So you can kind of see all these trends that we're pu 
pushing this particular mm -hmm. cocktail to grow on menus. So it's up, you know, triple digits on menus. You know, we see a lot of CPG or retail products. Um, so there's a lot of canned ranch waters now. And so that was actually the fastest growing single menu item of the last year. It is, it's still not on a ton of menus. I want to say it's on, you know, just above 1% of menus. So it's really easy to see these like giant growth numbers when, you know, you're on fewer menus. But, you know, it does kind of show where, you know, things are going. I think it's interesting too, because the last, I want to say three years that we looked at what the fastest growing menu item was, it was all plant-based. So every year it was, you know, all the plant-based brands and all the Beyond Burgers mm -hmm, and the Impossible mm -hmm. Burgers. And those are really dominating menus for so long. And this is the first year that we, um, you know, in a while have seen something else kind of take the top spot. And it's so, I mean, it's such a great at-home option too, because it's so easy. I mean, it's easier to make than a traditional margarita, unless you're using obviously like a pre-made mix or something like that. But, and it's super delicious. It's so refreshing. Like if you do love a margarita, it's a fizzy margarita. So you yeah. know, there's nothing not to like. About. Yeah, I, I'm totally, I'm making one and it's going to be going up on one of, my, <laughs> one of my websites soon. If you listen to this podcast daily when I do the recipes, stay tuned. There's going to be a red water cocktail very soon. <laughs> so what, what else are you seeing trending these days, Mike? Um, so some of the other stuff that we're seeing. So so I'm actually working on the, I, we actually just released it, our 2023 annual trends deck. So pretty much everybody in the industry releases a big report of kind of all of the things that they plan to see in the year ahead. Ours tends to be even more forward looking. So yeah, we're focusing on 2023, but we're also focusing on things that are kind of five to 10 years out just to differentiate ourselves a little bit. Uh, but as part of that report, we released 10 flavors and ingredients that we think are either already big and going to continue to grow in 2023 or will kind of be everywhere in 2023. And then we uh, release an additional 10 flavors that should be on your radar for kind of the far out future. So some of the things in that 2023, these are the things that are going to grow really fast. Um, they might be things that people are already seeing, but the numbers just kind of back out that there's back up that there's, uh, you know, future possibility for even more growth. Um, Zoom is probably the number one that's kind of becoming a next level default citrus option for a lot of especially chain menus so we've seen a number of chain menus include yuzu in particularly beverages um, sometimes in like um, the dessert or the bakery category so we see a lot of growth there ube um, i'm sure you know everybody's been seeing a lot of ube but i mean the growth of filipino cuisine just how you know that vibrant purple color that it has um, it really lends itself particularly to breakfast items or you know beverages in the dessert category. Uh, mushrooms continue to be big. So, you know, they're kind of now the go-to functional food. If you, you know, you're a manufacturer who wants to make some type of functional beverage or functional snack product, um, you're probably looking at mushrooms right now, but um, there's a whole wide range of that. And then we also look at kind of, um, you know, thematic um, changes that we expect to see or, you know, kind of areas that we, you know, think you should focus on. So some of those include, you know, the comeback of entertainment. So, you know, before COVID, we had all of these entertainment venues like Punchbowl Social that were, you know, growing across the country. They offered up experiences, but they also had really great food. And then, of course, the, the you know, pandemic really decimated a lot of those. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're still social creatures. We still want to go on dates. We still want to meet our friends. And so now we see a lot of, um, you know, entertainment venues that specialize in pickleball. You know, America's fastest growing sport, as everybody says. <laughs> I don't know what this means. Entertainment, pickleball. So people are going to pickleball courts and there's yeah. restaurants there? 
So they're actually, if you know, like Punchbowl Social or, you know, um, like Top Flight, um, you know, the golf focused entertainment venue, they're kind of like those, but they specialize in pickleball. So they have pickleball courts, but then they have great, you know, food programs. They have great cocktail programs. Actually, the guy who started Punchbowl Social, his next venue is a pickleball. It's called Camp Pickleball that he's um, opening across the country. But there are tons of brands pretty much at this point, you know, every kind of large to medium market either has a pickleball entertainment venue or will, you know, in the next few years. Okay. I do not think that, you know, we must because I live really close. I live (laughs) 45 minutes from Disney World. There must be something over there. I was going to say there, there might be one be. at Disney, right? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And if there's not, it's it's got to be coming. Maybe it's just, you know, there it's probably land is at such a, a premium. But I mean, it's also too, like, you know, you don't have to open an entertainment venue to kind of, you know, make a great experience for consumers. You know, part of it is also that, you know, you can go to a bar and grill anymore and, you know, maybe you play cornhole or maybe they have, you know, some games or, you know, mm-hmm. things that you can share with your friends it's just creating that like total experience and you know kind of giving um, consumers a reason to come back to restaurants again yeah no I love that I know a friend of mine works at a place that they do have cornhole they've got kind of, it's kind of like a bar with snacks that they've made super family friendly so they're okay so you you can you can go there on like a Sunday afternoon with your kids and you can have a beer and chat while they're very happy playing a variety of games and stuff yeah, but yeah. this is so this is also an adult version of that is what you're talking yes, about exactly exactly <laughs> yeah when it's interesting too one of the things that we found is that late night hours post-COVID have really been cut so people don't stay out nearly as late as they used to. A lot of people, you know, don't work downtown anymore, so Mm -hmm. they're already at home and um, they're not necessarily in central business districts to stay out really late. And so we've seen some of the, you know, bar and grill operators or nightclub operators actually during the day transforming into co-working spaces Mm -hmm. or spaces where, you know, if you want to get out of your house and get a little work done, um, you know, maybe you can have a coffee there and a pastry or sandwich Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. So so I think that's another, you know, kind of experiential offering that we're seeing, um, you know, some restaurant venues offering. Yeah, that's really interesting. I know I used to be a, I don't want to say party animal, but we used to go out a lot <laughs> and yeah. don't, don't anymore. And it, I think, I think Same. I missed it, missed it during the pandemic, and, but I haven't felt a like need to go. I'm pretty cozy. I'm pretty happy. Yeah. Like, so yeah, finding exactly. those. Yeah earlier hour, nice experiences, things to go do. Really, really cool. Well, Mike, this is fascinating information. I I could pick your brain for hours, but things that I should put on my website. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. This has been great. Can you let people know Absolutely. where they can find you if they want to ask questions or find you online, anything like that? Where should they go? Yes. Um, so my website is mikecostio.com. So M-I-K-E-K-O-S-T-Y-O.com. You can find all the information about me there. Um, and then uh, LinkedIn, I'm very, very active every single day. I post a new stat or just kind of yeah. interesting statistic on LinkedIn. So just, you know, search me by my name. And um, Instagram, I love posting the foods that I'm trying all across the country or, you know, things that I'm cooking in my kitchen on Instagram. So Fantastic. Um, I'll put those yeah. links in the show notes. Thank you so much. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. Well, 
Wasn't that so fun? I totally want to be a trendologist. Thank you so much, Mike. That was an amazing conversation. And I've got to say, it really spurred some quick work on our part. I actually broke out my DSLR camera myself. I don't take a lot of the pictures for the sites anymore, almost never these days, but I wanted to try the ranch water cocktail. I ordered some Topo Chico, this extra fizzy water. I'm going to tell you, my kids are obsessed with it. Plain seltzer water, and they love it. Little lime juice, so good. And then I made the ranch water. I took the pictures. You've got to check that out on thecookville.com. And actually, I am going to be telling you about it on this podcast tomorrow as we celebrate things you can do for Super Bowl. This drink is a must-have, the ranch water. Also coming up this week on the Recipe of the Day podcast, I've got a delicious chocolate treat for your Valentine's Day and a very easy, delicious special meal, the lasagna casserole. I am obsessed with this recipe. You kind of just mix together the uncooked noodles and sauce and stuff and top it with this delicious ricotta cheese mixture, and it ends up coming out sliceable in squares, kind of looking like it's layered like lasagna, but oh, so much less work. I love it. I'm telling you about that this week, too. You can also find some of those new recipes that we've been testing over on Cook the Story. I told you we were testing them last week or the week before. They are up now, our perfected how-to-cook cube steak. I'm telling you, this is not like cube steak and gravy and onions and everything. This is just how to cook it, basic, just as it is. And then you can use that to make your gravy one or to do like a beef parmesan or like whatever you want to do with it. But this is how to cook it perfectly so that it's tender inside, crisp on the inside, so good. And also those carne asada tacos for weeknights, those are up on Cook the Story as well. So you've got to check out those recipes. And I will say over on the Cookful, the newest post other than the ranch water is how to shred lettuce. If you want to go have a look, go have a look. Please, though, no swearing at me. Just try to help over here. Okay, I am going to put the links to all the recipes that I've told you about today in the show notes. Also, the links so you can find Mike Costio online and keep up with his exciting work. And if you want to get all of that from Cook the Story, head to cookthestory.com slash ROTD. You can click on Mike's picture to get all the information about this episode, or you can see all the recipes that I talk about on this show there. I will be back tomorrow morning talking about that ranch water cocktail, as promised, getting you ready for Super Bowl. I am Christine Pittman from Cook the Story, the Cookful, and from this podcast recipe of the day. Let's get cooking. <laughs>